With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by coronatools.com, the nation's leader in garden and landscaping tools. Listeners of The Organic View can receive 20% off their coronatools.com purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Tom is going to pick up from last week's discussion about his journey to California, back to the bee yard in Colorado. So I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June, from sunny Colorado. It's a relief to be back. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit more, I guess. Interesting trip. A lot of people are commenting about the fluctuation in temperatures, especially on the East Coast. One day we'll have temperatures in the 50s, and then just the other day I think it was 82 degrees. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, we have the same thing here in Colorado, and uh, when we're bringing back a load of bees coming through Nevada and Utah and Wyoming, we're facing those ups and downs of temperature over a short period of time, not days, but hours. I will tell you one thing. The carpenter bees are out, and they are such a bunch of bullies. They're kind of amusing, but they're such a bunch of bullies. It's like they kind of taunt you uh, when you're outside. But it's nice to see all pollinators outside, regardless of whether they're friends or foes. It's just nice to see that they are around, you know. The uh, mason bees are active. They became active while I was gone. They were beginning to nest before I left, but hadn't really gotten into it. And I have several different locations where I have nest boxes for the mason bees, and they're all being actively worked by mason bee queens, and that will be next year's population. So it's fun to watch them work. They're very effective for early fruit bloom, like cherries and apples and things like that. And uh, another of my curiosities. Tom, is there any particular time when the swarms begin? They have begun here in Colorado, and it's uh, largely a function of how successful a colony is. So it will vary from one part of the country to the other, to another, but here in Colorado, it coincides with the onset of the dandelions. The dandelions are the first significant source of pollen and nectar for a colony of honeybees. And if we have a good dandelion bloom, uh, the bees will grow quite quickly. And as they begin to feel crowded, Their instinct is to raise new queens, 
just after those, just before those new queens emerge, the old queen will leave with roughly half the colony population, and this is like the offspring of an existing colony. They will be off to some new location. It could be an empty hive. It could be a hollow tree. It could be the uh, wall of a building. And it's begun here within the past 10 days and will continue probably into June as different colonies come to full strength and swarm. These are the offspring of the colony of bees. And people should understand that when they're swarming like this, they're very gentle. They have no territory to protect. It's primarily the young bees that go with the mature queen. And they're very gentle and offer no uh, concern for anyone. So swarms are very beneficial and, and not to be concerned about. And, folks, if you do have a swarm that has found its way into an area of your home or on your property where it poses either an inconvenience or could potentially become problematic, please contact your local cooperative extension where they can either refer you to the local bee club or to a beekeeper that can remove that swarm. As Tom said, that swarm is the future of the colony. Now, back to your trip, Tom. I know that last week's segment was recorded live, and it was a little chaotic because there's just so much that you had to share with our listeners. But could you refresh our listeners about the journey that you took, and let's pick up where we left off. Well, I was describing what shaking bees involved, and I'd pretty well covered that, I think. And we were to the point where... I was going to discuss how we bring the bees back to Colorado. The bees are shaken into a package that's about the size of a double shoe box, and it's screened on two sides, has a syrup can in the middle, which is the food source in transit, and a new queen in a separate cage. In effect, what we're doing here is we're creating artificial swarms. We're shaking young bees from existing colonies and they will have a new queen once they arrive and they're installed in a Langstroth hive. So this is equivalent to a a swarm of bees and we're bringing back packages, they're called, and these in effect are swarms. They will be the beginning of new colonies. And As we ran out of time last week, I was describing the temperature, and you asked about the temperature earlier. It's a significant consideration when you're moving bees like this. They're very resilient in in a hive where they have some protection and they have comb. In a package, they are open to the elements, they're open to the air, and they cluster together for warmth, and they try to keep the temperature of the cluster within survival temperature. So we have to watch the temperature very closely. And after we were done shaking, we shook bees Saturday or Friday. That was the day that we did the recording. And then we went back Saturday morning and we shook another 120 packages with the Conan crew. And this is my friend, Miles McGahee, and his three daughters came along this year, Ruth, Anne, 
and Karen, and they're all very experienced beekeepers because of the work that they've done with their parents, and they just worked right into the crew. They saw what needed to be done, and they were very effective, and it was fun to watch young people joining in. Um, it's encouraging. Anyway, we loaded up. We had 300 packages by about midday Saturday, and we were loaded up and headed out back for Colorado. We come by way of the Feather River Canyon and then come into Reno from the north, get on I-80, and it's I-80 all the way across Nevada, Utah, and Wyoming, and then we pick up Highway 287 down into Colorado. During the course of that trip, and we generally drive straight through. It makes for a very, very long day. We started Saturday morning early shaking bees. We drove all night Saturday night. We arrived back in Colorado 9 o'clock Sunday morning. Now, we had passed through moderate temperatures until the sun went down, and then over the eastern part of Nevada and Utah and Wyoming, we had outside temperatures that were down in the 30s, and we have to watch the temperature in the load, the packages, very closely, and we're always concerned that the bees are warm enough during those cold periods. And so we watch the, uh, the temperature sensors that we have in the load very closely, and we're like expectant parents, hoping to bring those bees to Colorado as safely as possible. And... We're always very relieved when we arrive, and the bees have survived the trip. And it's now Tuesday. The bees were handed out to most of the beekeepers on Sunday, and they, by Sunday afternoon, they had put them in their hives. So in one day, those bees that we shook on Saturday morning, the next day they were in a a hive in Colorado. And I've noticed here in the neighborhood that the num number of bees in my apple trees has increased noticeably. I had uh, put one package here in my backyard, and I know that the neighbor down the road got three packages. So many of the people who live in subdivisions and had no bees at all now will begin to see bees in their fruit trees and their blooming plants. And they're back in business for a while, at least. Those bees will pollinate through the course of the summer. And as I said last week, uh, if each of those bees had its own territory, they would be responsible for about 2,000 acres each times 300, which is 6 million acres that they will pollinate. Now, it's not going to be anywhere near that. There'll be overlap. and uh, But even at that, if we cut that in half or even in a quarter, we're talking about a substantial acreage that will receive pollination that might not have had we not made that trip to California. It was a very exhausting trip, and uh, it kind of put me to the test. Uh, I had to not only make the trip along with Miles and his daughters, but that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, I had to install my own packages. And by evening, I was a tired puppy. I got a good night's rest and felt fine the next day, which uh, is encouraging that I can still stand the pace. But uh, we're always relieved to be back in Colorado and, and have the bees arrive safely. 
So at this particular point, Tom, now that it's a whole new season, as you're working with some of the younger hobbyists that are really clueless as far as what's going to happen this growing season, how do you prepare them when you know that they're going to be sustaining losses? We do that in a number of ways. Some of it is just face-to-face -face communication. We also have an eight-week beginning beekeepers class where we try to cover as many of the aspects of beekeeping as we can to give them a foundation to start. Those of us who are more experienced are always available to answer questions, and uh, we help them as much as we can. Some of them take greater advantage of things like the classes. Others are more inclined to read on their own or or they're involved with other bee associations. Some of them, <laughs> I laugh, but some of them have no idea what they're getting into. I got a call from a very nice lady just a week or so before we left for California, and she, she said introduced herself, and she said she'd been at Costco, and she saw this very interesting beehive for sale, and... I had this picture in my mind of the sign that says, uh, just add bees. So she bought what she described as a hive body and a honey super with frames inside. And that's the start starting equipment for a colony of bees. But she had no idea what to do from there. And I, I explained to her that she really was about a year behind the curve, that she she could do it, but she needed to understand what it was she was involved in and what her responsibilities would be. And and the, all the packages had been spoken for by then. We were just about to leave for California, so we wouldn't have been able to supply her with bees anyway. And And she understood, and I think I suggested a number of things for her to read and suggested the beekeeping class. She has a year to be prepared, and by January of next year, she'll know whether she wants to be a beekeeper or not, whether she wants to take on that responsibility, and she'll have a good start rather than a series of disappointments. So we have a lot of new beekeepers, and we're doing our best to introduce them to a craft that some of us have been involved in for many, many years. I just want to mention a comment that we received from Bill Castro from Bee Friendly Apiary, who's in Maryland. He made a comment in regards to the live show last week, and he said, Maryland imports nearly 9,000 replacement colonies every year to replace our 60 to 75% losses. Wow. Well, we're seeing that sort of thing all across the country. And the question is whether the package industry, that's people like the Conans, who are supplying packages, can keep up with the level of replacements that we're going to have to have to cover those 60 and 70 percent losses. Uh, you asked uh, about how we prepare the new beekeepers for these losses. If they've done it for two or three years, they've already had those losses, and we've had that discussion. They don't really understand what's missing here. In the first 20 or 30 years of my beekeeping, my winter losses in a normal winter would have been 2 to 5 percent, very low. 
Here in Boulder County, I think this past year, we saw losses on the order of 80%. So the newer beekeepers don't remember what it was like because they weren't keeping bees then. All they know are these years of high losses. So they're a little more prepared for these losses than I guess I was. <laughs> it's a dramatic change for me. For them, this is the way beekeeping is, and we try to deal with it as best we can. I think the fact that there's so many hobbyist beekeepers as well as professional beekeepers talking about all the different problems and helping people understand, okay, this is what to expect, especially when the beekeepers don't have any control over when spring will happen, or in some cases, even if they are advised, they still are not able to do much about it, is really important. Educating each other is really what we need to do. I think it's the most direct approach we can take as far as doing what we can to protect our bees. And this is not just here in America. This is around the world. I mean, the emails that we're getting from folks located in very remote locations it's growing. We're getting so many emails and messages. It's it's nice to see that people have begun that conversation with their fellow beekeepers. Many of these new beekeepers are going to come and go. Um, for whatever reason, beekeeping won't fit in their lives. But the hope is that of that group will come the beekeepers of the future. And I've seen them develop. They have stuck with it. They know that it's going to be discouraging, but there's a certain magic about beekeeping. It's not just a hobby. It's not just an undertaking. It's a love affair, and there's something magic about interacting with this natural system of honeybees that captivates some of us, like me. I've, I've dedicated most of my adult life to the husbandry of the honeybee, and I feel privileged to be a part of their lives. Um, there's a lot of discouragement, but there's hope as well. We have to have these beekeepers. If you look at things like the monarch butterfly and more recently the rusty-patched bumblebee that was put on the endangered species list, we're seeing declines in these insect populations on the order of 80 to 90% over the past 20 years. And obviously, the implication is that the neonicotinoids have had a major effect here, and I believe that's accurate. But were it not for the beekeepers, we would see those same losses for the honeybees. So the, the new beekeepers are very important. They're an important ingredient in keeping the pollination going, and it's the pollination that keeps the environment healthy. In, in many locations, in subdivisions in particular, where the feral population has declined because of all these problems, the only reason those people have bees to pollinate is because they have a beekeeper in the neighborhood. So the new beekeepers are very important in, in keeping the bees going. Well, Tom, we've reached that point where we are out of time, and I just want to thank you so much for, once again, sharing with our listeners something that they're not going to hear anywhere else. It's always interesting to learn about beekeeping, especially from someone such as yourself who's been a beekeeper for 40 years. 
I mean, it's it's hard to believe that time has flown by. <laughs> Isn't it? Um, this is a very unique experience, shaking bees. And even commercial beekeepers of long experience, multi-generational families, few of them have ever gone out with a crew to shake bees. So both Miles and I and his daughters feel very privileged to be able to join in with the Conan crew. And over time, they've become friends. We appear once a year and we're kind of the auxiliary crew and they know we're not going to bungle anything. We're going to stay out of the way when that's necessary or join in where we can help. And uh, it's like spending a few days with old friends. And uh, we're very fortunate to have been able to do it. We're also very relieved to have the bees safely back here to Colorado and in the hands of individual beekeepers. Thanks, Tom. Before I go, I'd just like to say hello to a few of our listeners, Ralph Hobbs, Cosima Kruger, and Matthew Selliam. Thank you, folks, for all the efforts that you've been making to share with people about the impact of neonicotinoids. Tom, to be continued... Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with your Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.